This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. I love it. I need it. Couldn't live without it. You can hear The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 till 6 on WSJS. So glad to have you on this Thursday drive. It is WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad, where, as of a short while ago, pencils down in the NBA. The trade deadline officially hits. There's quite a bit that's happened with the Charlotte Hornets that we'll get to in just a bit. But first, we must get to breaking news elsewhere in the Queen City. A few hours ago, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips announced the next five tournament sites for the ACC men's basketball tournament. And they're all going to be in the state of North Carolina. Have a great day and go ACC. But there's more to this than that. It's not completely let out a guttural yell. This is celebratory news. Let's throw a party. It's everything we could have asked for. There's some good there's some bad, and there's a little bit of ugly in this as well to explore, so let's get into it. The good news is the ACC tournament is being held where it should be held, the state of North Carolina. 2025, after we'll be in D.C. next month, and in 2026, it'll be in Spectrum Center in Charlotte. So it has not been back in Charlotte since the Zion tournament in 2019, So a six-year drought in Charlotte will end next year. And in 2026, it'll be in Charlotte as well. 2027, back in the Greensboro Coliseum. 2028, Charlotte. 2029, Charlotte. Five straight years. It's the longest consecutive run of North Carolina-held tournaments or tournaments in any one state since 1990 through 2000, where all those tournaments were held in the state of North Carolina. This happens as Stanford, Cal, and SMU get set to join the league. So it's a little bit surprising. It's good news, but it's a little surprising that the ACC, at least for now, abandons a rotation that sends them all up and down the East Coast. Sorry, Boston or Pittsburgh or new ACC markets, maybe a little bit closer to the Midwest to appease the new members of the league, maybe looking at Dallas or something like that. Nothing like that. No no to Florida. No Brooklyn. Not another D.C. tournament. No to Atlanta. All in North Carolina. That is a little bit surprising. I'm glad to see it. Still surprising nonetheless. So that's the good. The bad is this. It left Greensboro wanting a little bit more. And here's the more that they wanted. It's not necessarily that they wanted more than two tournaments. It's just, how are you going to give Greensboro two of the next five tournaments and not give them the 75-year anniversary tournament? This is something we've been talking about for years. The News and Observers, Luke DeCock, opined that they should have the first day at Reynolds Coliseum in Raleigh going back to the old days with Everett Case for the 75-year tournament. When we talked to Jim Phillips about it in Greensboro, or pardon me, in Charlotte at ACC Media Day last year, he said they had something special planned for it. Jim Phillips said in his comments today that it's going to be a year-long celebration, whatever that means. How is that going to incorporate Greensboro? 
I guess we will find out. It certainly should. But having it in Charlotte just feels like a huge miss, and it feels like the ACC went out of its way to give it to Charlotte. And this is what I mean. Like, if you have a five-year window where it's all going to two sites, and Greensboro's getting two, and Charlotte's getting three, wouldn't it have just been the easiest possible thing to just alternate it by year? And by doing that, you automatically give Greensboro the 75-year tournament? Think about it. 2025. You could have just done this. 2025, Charlotte. 26, Greensboro. 28, uh, 27, Charlotte. 28, which is the 75-year. Greensboro finished the stretch 2029 in Charlotte. That's not hard. That would have been so easy to do. Instead, we got to wait till 27 to get the first Greensboro tournament. And you have back-to-back in Charlotte in 25 and 26. It didn't have to be this way. So it's good news, yes, but that's a little annoying. Which then leads us to the ugly. The ACC Women's Basketball Tournament has been in Greensboro every year but one since 2000. The one year was 2017. It was the HB2 year where they pulled everything out of North Carolina. That's the only time that it hasn't been in Greensboro. They moved to, I think, the South Carolina Conway, if memory serves. And they're now going to move it as soon as 26, no later than 27. 2027 is going to be in Spectrum Center in Charlotte. 26, we don't know. 25 will be in Greensboro. This year it'll be in Greensboro. We're talking about a quarter century straight of the women's tournament being in one place. And it's well-supported, and people go to it and love it and treat it just like the men's tournament. And now you're going to move it to Charlotte? Like, even when the men's tournament's in Charlotte, people don't quite know that it's there or care so much that it's there. Now you're going to move the women's tournament there and not even have it at the Bojangles Center, which is a smaller venue than the NBA gym? You're going to play it at the Spectrum Center? Like, again, I hope it looks like how Iowa and Virginia Tech looked when they had the women's tournament there, or the uh, the neutral site women's game there a couple months ago. But what's Wednesday of the women's basketball tournament going to look like at Spectrum Center in Charlotte? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you're getting into the nitty-gritty of the details and ugly, this really feels like it's all about being compliant with an agreement that the state of North Carolina came to with the ACC when headquarters stayed in North Carolina. When Orlando was being threatened to potentially be a headquarters site for the ACC, the state came in and said, we will give you $15 million of taxpayer money if you agree to keep headquarters either in Greensboro or Charlotte. Of course, they decided to move to Charlotte. But part of that agreement was four of the next 10 tournaments need to be in North Carolina and two of those need to be in Greensboro. So now they're completely compliant with that agreement. They get that $15 million of taxpayer money. This was all made at the ACC headquarters in Greensboro, this announcement. Brian Hall, our guy from uh, WFMY locally, was there and got Jim Phillips' thoughts on Greensboro being part of this announcement. From the announcement, we will be in the great city of Greensboro. They've been wonderful hosts, and it's it's hard to put in words um, the volunteer group that rallies around these events. So we just say, and I say, just thank you, sincere and heartfelt thanks for all they've done in the past, and they're going to have to roll up their sleeves again because they have a high standard that they've set, and uh, I know our student-athletes and coaches and schools are excited about going back to Greensboro. 
on X at WSGS Radio if you want in. We're streaming video on YouTube, Twitch, and X. Will Dalton, the executive producer of this show. WD, we saw West Durham with Jim Beheim last night at Cameron. He's got the Wake-NC State game Saturday. Hard to think of a better person to chat with today on this topic. Business. Than, Good business sense. Well, not that guy. Then Wes Durham, I think. Wes will be our guest later today. Are you happy as a Hornets fan? I suppose. I mean, it's they good. were the most busy team at the trade deadline. Are you happy with what they did? I'm, I'm, yes, I, I think Gordon Hayward getting moved was a little late, but I'm glad to see that. And I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm just happy to see Brandon Miller doing what he's doing. Well, if you missed it, let's get into it. The Hornets have been the busiest team at the NBA trade deadline. You mentioned Gordon Hayward. They finally moved him. That was the first domino to fall. They moved him to Oklahoma City. Two, maybe three years too late. He was going to walk after this season ended anyway. Get something in return. David Bertans, he is a Hornet killer. Seems like every time he faces the Hornets, bad things happen. For Charlotte, dating back to his days with, I believe, the Mavs and the Washington Wizards. This sounds like me playing Immaculate Grid in my head right now. Uh, you get Trey Mann, too, who's a young player under 25. That's all good. Gordon Hayward played in just 40 or make it 58% of his games, which means he missed 42% of them in his three and three-quarter seasons in Charlotte after getting that massive deal. But Charlotte completed a massive blockbuster trade. P.J. Washington to the Mavs. We heard all these rumors about the Mavericks being linked to Charlotte. Turns out those rumors were true. P.J. Washington to Dallas in exchange for Seth Curry, Grant Williams, and a first-round pick in 2027 that is lightly protected. Love everything about this trade. Grant Williams is the perfect type of player for Steve Clifford. Defense first. It's what you want. He's a Charlotte kid, as is Seth Curry. You, you bring a Curry to Charlotte, that'll excite some people. You get a first-round draft pick out of it, too, which is a great asset to have moving forward. But really, the day started, the first big headline of the trade deadline was late last night when Woj broke the news that Miles Bridges is going to be using his no-trade clause to say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in Charlotte. The question is, does that mean he's going to stay long-term? I think that's still likely for a few reasons. I get it. He's a clutch client, and LeBron's tweeting about him and things like that, Rich Paul. Charlotte has his bird rights. He is a restricted free agent, which means it is harder for him to leave than it would be if he were an unrestricted free agent. We've talked about for years, like almost five years, as long as I've been doing this show, longest-running local sports talk show in the history of the triad, that P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges have had some overlap on this roster. There's a skill set overlap between the two. Well, P.J.'s not here anymore. He's in Dallas. So a lot more room for Miles, you would think. And Charlotte was loyal to Miles Bridges when it wasn't convenient to be loyal to Miles. All the stuff he dealt with and missing last year and even violating some things before the start of the year. Charlotte never really turned its back on them. Much to the dismay of a lot of people. They took a lot of heat for that. So hopefully that's something Miles Bridges doesn't forget and Charlotte doesn't let him walk without getting anything in return. Which would happen at this point since they didn't move him. Miles didn't allow for him to be moved at the trade deadline. You're on the drive with Josh
this is going to be a song that makes it into the halftime show. We've got our full Usher breakdown that we'll do in just a few minutes. It's the NBA trade deadline today. The Hornets, perhaps the busiest team. Gordon Hayward moved. P.J. Washington moved. There are other trades that do not involve the Hornets as well. Gordon Hayward moved to Oklahoma City. The Mavericks acquiring P.J. Washington, by the way. The biggest ones, Pat Bev being moved to the Milwaukee Bucks. That matters, and this is why. Remember, with all the offseason movement last year, Drew Holiday is no longer on the Bucks, And if they're set to run into the Boston Celtics at some point during the playoffs, well, who's going to guard Jason Tatum is a pretty big question mark. Drew Holiday now plays for Boston, not for Milwaukee. Pat Bev could be part of that puzzle when playoff time arrives. Bogdanovich is going to the Knicks. That one stands out. Remember, in recent weeks, they had acquired OG and Anobi. The Knicks might be the sleeper in the Eastern Conference, and the NBA is a lot more fun when the Knicks are relevant and when MSG is juiced, and it seems that that's going to happen around postseason time. That's what stands out with the deadline having hit about a half hour ago. WD, you ready for an Usher halftime breakdown? Of course. Let's do this thing. <laughs> we got to see that. Watch me. Uh-huh. Watch this. Watch this. Confessions is one of the six must plays for Usher. So this is how we're going to break this thing down. Most Super Bowl halftime shows, and I've watched every single one of them several times. Each year I watch a few for sure. By the time the Super Bowl arrives, I've rewatched all of them almost. Usually you get 12 to 13 songs, WD. Most songs last about a minute, sometimes even less than that. So we have 12 to 13 songs to try to predict for Usher here. I count six must plays. Just for the NPR Tiny Desk performance alone, this song's going to make the cut. This is a number one hit. Also a number one hit is Yeah, That's a Must Play. OMG. Yes. With Will I Am. Yes. You Remind Me. Love in This Club. And Burn. Those are the six must plays from Usher. Not DJ Got Us Falling in Love? I don't think that's a must play. That's not oh, a. Oh, no- I do. I I love that song. Don't get me wrong. I just think that it's not a number one hit like these songs are. These are Billboard number one hits. You absolutely, positively cannot have a Usher halftime show if these six songs aren't played. We're building upon it, WD. You have to have the foundation. Those six songs are the foundation. Now, one of these six songs probably going to be the first song. This is something that people bet on for. Super Bowl halftime props. I think, yeah, is the betting favorite. But WD, smart money might be on the underdog, OMG. Want to get the people jumping right out of the gate? Yeah, does that. But But I think OMG 
has that same capability, and I think it's lesser odds to get it done. I feel like you gotta hang on to yeah for a little while. You gotta That's save what I'm saying. that. That's what I'm saying. I think OMG, you don't even have finish to. with it. Maybe. I think I think one of those two songs are going to open it up. OMG or yeah, and I think OMG is gonna be my official pick. There will be multiple guests that appear during the halftime show. Justin Bieber makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be an usher tight. Somebody to love. That could be a nice little Bieber throwback. Maybe get Luda or Lil Jon for yeah. Okay. That's actual Lil Jon. Yeah. That's not Lil Jon Coliseum. Yeah. Maybe my boo. If you want to go deep cut, Alicia Keys. And uh, Usher had that big hit. That might have been a number one hit, too. Maybe Taylor Swift, but that doesn't seem very likely. When would she have had time to rehearse for this halftime show? So I'll just throw it out there, but I don't think that's going to happen. At least two guests will appear. It could be Will I Am for OMG. It could be David Guetta for a song we get to right now. So we're building a, a house here, WD. You have the six foundational songs that must play. And then you have a couple of guest appearances. We'll say that takes up three songs. You're talking about Bieber or Alicia Keys or something of that sort. Now we're at nine songs. That gives us a few more to play with here. DJ Got Us Fallen In Love, a non-number one hit that you should expect. That's what I'm saying. That gives us 10. Let's go into a few more deeper cuts here. David Guetta, Without You. A personal favorite of mine. Love that song. And You Make Me Wanna. If you want to go throwback about 20 years ago, we'll throw that into the mix too. That gets us to 12 Usher songs. I don't know what the closer's going to be. Probably Love in This Club, if I had to guess. Or do we? Or does he save yeah for the end? See to punch I, it. I could see that too. I think those are the songs. Maybe burn. That would be a great closer. Just well, because he can go full pipes, and that was one of his first huge hits. Once upon a time. There you go. Anything I missed that you think should be part of the Usher halftime show? Possibly. There goes my baby. Possibly. That's just not the vibe for the halftime show. Well, Usher's going to be the vibe of the halftime show. No, you don't choose ballads. Like, all these songs we've picked. I think somewhere in the middle we could get a There Goes My Baby. I don't think so. Somewhere in the middle, you know, when you kind of Is this going to be our lunch bet? Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I don't know about a uh, coffee bet. Sorry. Yes, it is. Somewhere in the middle. There goes the, my baby. When the vibe gets maybe a little more brought down a bit when he settles in. I don't think I, so. I could see this. I don't think so. Coffee it. Coffee it. Yeah. Are there other number one songs that I've missed? Let me see. Oh, You Got It Bad. You didn't say that one? I had not considered You Got It Bad. No, I did You Remind Me. What about Hey Daddy? I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's on the uh, Raymond vs. Raymond, 2010. I, I, that's not a great album. <laughs> So I, I don't know that song, but uh, I think I think that's pretty good. Let me see if there are any other number one hits I've missed, because he has a lot. Nice and slow. Mm -hmm. That's the 90s, though. You go way back. I could maybe see that. 
more recently, Good Kisser was a hit. Spotlight with Gucci was a hit. No, I think we're pretty good. I think we're pretty set with what we have here. I'm going to stay committed to that. I'm going to say OMG is the first song. I'm going to say Burn. He closes with Burn. And I'm going to predict multiple guests. Bieber and... Should I go Luda or Alicia Keys? I say Luda. I say Luda too. That's what we have. There's your halftime show breakdown. He was never voted most likely to succeed. You're such a loser. But then again, were you? The very concept is unimaginable. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Our buddy Wes Durham will be here in about 15 minutes. We'll get back to college basketball with him when that time arrives. One of the coolest things about the Pro Football Hall of Fame is the knock. What's become a tradition where somebody wearing a gold jacket who works for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, or in recent memory, inductees into Canton, let soon-to-be-inducted Hall of Famers know they're going to be enshrined in Canton. It's a very cool thing. Last year, it was Jerry Jones that surprised DeMarcus Ware with the knock. Joe Namath did so last year with another inductee. It was an emotional moment when Jimmy Johnson surprised Zach Thomas in his house to let him know, giving him the knock, letting him know you're a Hall of Famer. And tonight, we're going to learn who gets the knocks for 2024. And two of our state's all-time greats should receive that knock. The obvious one being Julius Peppers. He's a lock to get in. Fourth in NFL history in sacks, a nine-time Pro Bowler. He's our state's Paul Bunyan. Everybody who was kind of around Nash County or Chapel Hill in the late 90s or in the mid-90s, they all have stories about Pep. Oh, he wore a shoe that was four or five sizes smaller than his foot, and it didn't stop him from being the best rusher in addition to the best football player, offense and defense in the county, stuff like that. There's a Bo Jackson element to him. A bunch of folk tales right before the internet started to take hold. He's the only man that played for both of the most popular teams in the state of North Carolina, Tar Heel basketball and for the Carolina Panthers. He's the most talented Panther ever, just in terms of God-given ability. And if he were to be inducted... He'll join Kevin Green, Reggie White, and Sam Mills among Hall of Famers that played for the Carolina Panthers. Julius Peppers, a lock. Another thing that's great about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it's just five modern-day candidates. That's it. No more, no less. It's not like baseball. Oh, this year we don't have any inductees. Five. And usually people get mad at who misses out. But the more difficult thing to do is not to, f- to pick who was left out that's deserving of getting in. 
It's picking who of the five is deserving of being replaced by the person you think should have got it. It's really hard. It's competitive. It's an incredible honor to get into the hall. And somebody who's waited his turn quite a, quite a bit and should be called on tonight, who should get that knock, is Tory Smith. Or Tory Holt, pardon me. Tory Smith. There's a Panther great. Tory Holt, the pride of Gibsonville is who we're thinking about. NC State alum. A Super Bowl champion. An All-Pro. He should lead the logjam that's been built among finalists at receiver. Somebody needs to knock the door down. You have Andre Johnson and Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt, all of which were finalists last year. None of them got in. But Wayne and Andre Johnson have not waited longer than Torrey has. This is his fifth time as a finalist. I think he gets into the hall tonight, and it's going to be well-deserved. Predicting the rest of the modern-day candidates. Again, you only have five. Five to predict. In addition to Peppers, it feels like Antonio Gates is a lock. So, I think he's going to get in. The Charger tied in. Devin Hester was a hot name last year as a specialist. Looks like he's going to get in. And he probably should. If you're talking specialists, there's, there hasn't been a greater kick returner than him. It's my argument for why Cam Newton should be a Hall of Famer one day. If Devin Hester can get into the Hall, Cam Newton should too. Why? He's not as good as Tom Brady or Peyton Man. Cam Newton's the greatest running quarterback ever. He's the greatest red zone threat ever. That's enough for, I think, him to get in if Devin Hester can get in as the greatest kick return. So that's four. Torrey Holt, Devin Hester, Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates. What about the fifth spot? This is tough. I think it'll be a defensive player. And the two I have it down to, Niners linebacker Patrick Willis, who didn't play a lot of years, but when he did play, unquestionably great. And Jared Allen, who would be another former Panther to get in if he were inducted. This is his fourth year as a finalist. He was on the Panthers Super Bowl team in 2015, also played for the Vikings and the Chiefs. I think Patrick Willis would get the nod if it were down to those two. So my five predictions for tonight. Julius Peppers. Tory Holt, Antonio Gates, Devin Hester, Patrick Willis. That's what I think the 2024 Hall of Fame class among modern-day candidates are going to be. Shifting things to the NBA. The biggest news today for me is not the blockbuster trade that the Hornets made sending P.J. Washington to Dallas in exchange for Seth Curry, Grant Williams, and a first-rounder. It's not moving off of Gordon Hayward, too. Gordon Hayward only playing in 40 or 58% of his games, meaning he missed 42% of the three and three-quarter seasons he spent in Charlotte, given that four-year, $120 million ridiculous absurdity of a contract. No, the biggest news came late last night. As I was getting back from Cameron in the wee hours of the morning, where Woj on trade deadline day started with a bombshell, Miles Bridges has informed the Hornets he's not going to waive his no-trade clause for any team he wants to remain in Charlotte, at least for the remainder of this year. And there are two ways to read that headline. Number one, Miles Bridges is being loyal to a team that was loyal to him. He didn't play all of last year. I think we all know why he didn't play all of last year. 
dealing with some really serious allegations that would have nuked his career in three quarters of the NBA organization. A lot of people wanted Charlotte to cut ties with Miles Bridges. It was a bridge too far, pun intended. But they stayed with him. He got on stage and he apologized and all that. And then the report came out that he went back and violated his agreement and violated a restraining order. The next day, Steve Clipper was speaking, and you saw in the background Miles Bridges shooting at practice. He wasn't additionally suspended. That wasn't a final straw. Charlotte, at every turn, stood by Miles Bridges. This could be Miles Bridges repaying Charlotte for that. That's one way that you can look at it. The second way you could look at it is this, and this is the cynical view. He's only interested in juicing his stats so that he can sign a bigger contract this summer with somewhere else, uh, with a team of his choosing, walking somewhere else, and maybe to a team that doesn't have the trade assets to trade for him right now. The last two games, he scored a career-high 42, or pardon me, 45, a game after he had a career-high 41. He's going to get all the shots he wants right now with Charlotte, and if his numbers are great, all right, he has that to sell to the Hornets for his big extension or to somebody else. Clutch client, Rich Paul, led some people to think, oh, he doesn't want to be in Charlotte long-term. This could be a problem. If he went to a contender, let's say he got traded to, hypothetically, I don't know, the Phoenix Suns. Is Miles Bridges going to get more shots or less shots than he is right now with the Hornets? A lot less, which means his numbers are going to go down, which means his value is going to go down. And whether he's playing for the Suns or the Hornets the rest of the way, he's going to be looking for a big contract this summer. He might feel that this gives him a better chance to sign that large contract with better numbers the last couple months of the season. That is the cynical way to look at it. Those are the two ways, though. But I do give Charlotte a shot of bringing him back. If he leaves and you don't get anything back for him, which would happen if he leaves now, unless there's some sign-and-trade deal, that is a disaster for Charlotte. But this is what should have you optimistic. Charlotte has his bird rights. He is a restricted free agent. So it's not as simple as he could just leave wherever he wants to go. No, Charlotte has the chance to match offers and has some power to try to keep him there. But it is kind of astounding to me how Charlotte thought it would be a good idea to give Miles Bridges a no-trade clause. Like, I felt this way when it came to Bradley Beal in Washington. You gave Bradley Beal a no-trade clause? What what has he ever done? Has he ever won you a playoff series? Like, I I think unless you've won a championship, you should not get a no-trade clause. Like, there, I want to know how many guys in the league have these. Because Charlotte is now exposed to being in a really bad predicament if Miles decides not to come back because he decided to, I'm not going to waive my no-trade clause. Like, if he leaves for nothing, like if let's put it this way. WD, was Charlotte going to get more for Miles Bridges than P.J. Washington? I'd like to think so. You got a first-round pick, Seth Curry, and Grant Williams from Dallas for P.J. Washington. If you got more than that for Miles Bridges today... Charlotte is set up in a great position. If you lose him for nothing, 
Miles Bridges is already one of the more dislikable figures in North Carolina sports history in recent memory for those off-court problems. If he leaves Charlotte and doesn't allow them to get anything in return for him this summer after they stood by him all the time they did, there might not be a more dislikable figure in Charlotte Hornets history than Miles Bridges. Because you might think, oh, Josh, well, what about Nick Batum? What about Noah Vonley? What about... Those guys weren't good. They didn't live up to their contracts. But Miles Bridges outwardly screwed the team when the team stood by him in situations that most teams would not. That would be terrible. So I don't know if he's going to do that yet. I'm willing to wait and see. But that's, I think, the bigger development of the day with Charlotte. Fresh off calling last night's Duke game at Cameron with Jim Beheim, and ahead of calling NC State Wake Forest at the Joel Saturday. Westerham joins us next on The Drive. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. Ripped off the coach is an iconic moment, WD. So iconic. It has been immortalized in the jacket. Are you kidding me? We got it here. Right here. How long have you had this? Well, I keep it for special occasions. Last night at Cameron... Wes Durham, Jim Beheim, Corey Alexander on the call. When the jacket was debuted on Jim Beheim, stitched, embroidered inside the image of him ripping off the jacket at Cameron when he was thrown out. Who was the official that threw him out 10, 11 years ago? Tony Green. Tony Green. Because From of Atlanta, Georgia, by the way. CJ Fair, I believe, was on the baseline and the foul was oh, called. Terrible call. It was a bad call. I saw Tony like six weeks after it happened. I said, Tony, come on, man. Come on. What was what's more difficult? Steer- By the way, you know the similarities between that night and last night? No. Please tell we me. We didn't even get we didn't even get to this on the air. Jamie Lucky on the floor both games. Last ah. night and ten years ago. Ah. John Shire riding Jamie Lucky a little bit and uh John Gaffney, I believe, was there. I think That's he, he okay. took that from Mike Shashesky and after the game, I thought maybe he might have adopted with the motivational tactics some of what Coach K has done in the past. But Shire said, no, no, no. They kept their practice uniforms. They kept. They were able to access the locker room. They didn't practice in card gym. They didn't take their name off the lockers. They didn't take the furniture out of the locker room. You mean we didn't do any of that? I asked Shire, and he said, no, uh, I don't think they're ever going to learn He's about gonna this. He's going to tell you, Josh? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, um, thanks. What is more difficult? Steering a telecast with Jim Beheim and Corey Alexander on it, oh, no. or uh, trying to facilitate a conversation, say, at the Greensboro Coliseum with Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski, ah, which will uh, be featured in an ACC Network special later this yep. hour. You no, talked no. to us. You talked to Not us this hour. Oh, later this month. Sorry. Yeah. You you talked with us the day that this happened. and. I, I did. I was like, man, I thought I would have heard about this, and now we know why we didn't hear much about it. You're right. Um, no, it's uh, – in fact, I finally got to see the full edit um, Monday night. Was it Monday night? Monday night. Or no, Tuesday night. Tuesday night I finally saw the full edit. And I think people are really going to enjoy it. I think they're going to – I think they're going to see the similarities between Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams. I think they're going to see a lot of things about both guys that are going to surprise them. Uh, I think when you hear them talk about their programs – 
and they talk about Duke Carolina specifically, I think it's going to be really interesting. There are several moments that are funny um, between the two. There are moments that they're very serious about the the art of coaching and the and where college basketball is. I, I the part that probably surprised me the most in, in the that is in the piece is when they talk about their concern of college basketball. Both are incredibly concerned. Now remember, we did this July the seventeenth, so um, you know time has passed, so to speak. But um, they are both they were both concerned when we did the special of where college basketball is, and I don't think a lot has changed that would change their opinions. Let's let's put you. a pin in that piece of it okay. because of the news today. By the way, this one hour conversation. You can uh, watch on the ACC Network, 9 o'clock, Wednesday, February the 28th, later this month. West Durham is with us here. We learned today that five straight ACC tournaments are going to be in the state of North Carolina, which is good. We should all celebrate, except for the fact in Greensboro, you're required to have the two in the next 10 years to get the $15 million for keeping the headquarters in town. And we learned that the two are going to be in 27 and 29. Mm-hmm. But Jim Phillips told us they had something really special cooked up for the 75 year. And it's not going to be day one in Reynolds as Luke DeCock has opined about. It's not going to be in Greensboro, which I think we all kind of expected it would be. It's going to be in Charlotte. But he did say it will be part of a year-long celebration the women's tournament for the first time in earnest in a quarter century 27 at the latest but we don't know where 26 is going to be quite yet the women's right. tournament's going to move out of greensboro you had the hb2 year in 2017 but aside from that every year since 2000 so was there anything that surprised you about the future sites um i thought that there would be a heavy influence of north carolina i didn't think it would be full influence of north carolina um, I, I suspected that between now and 30, there would be a strong, strong indicate the basketball event, especially in North Carolina. Uh, I thought we might go to Washington one more time, but I don't know where the arrangements or the proposals on that stand, Josh. And that, that is part of this process. I knew we would not be in Atlanta. I felt fairly confident we would not be back in Brooklyn, but I thought we might be in Washington. Um, and then I think it's way too early to speculate on Dallas or Vegas or any of these exotic ports of call that people have been dreaming up since last September where the ACC basketball tournament might go, because quite frankly, we don't know where the ACC is going to be after about 29 right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we can we can hazard a guess. We hope that they're, you know, but we, we've got to get through at least the first couple of years of 18 teams. Look, the part, and I tweeted this, part one is done. Now part two is, where's my bracket? Is everybody going to be at these tournaments? Yeah, are we going to play 18 teams? Are we going to have a five-day or a six-day event? I've seen an 18-team bracket. I've seen an 18-team single elimination bracket online that shows me eight games on day two, and I know that's not happening unless we're playing in two different venues. I will say this. By playing in Charlotte and playing in Greensboro, there are multiple venues within that city where you could play eight games in one day if you had to. So we'll see. I'm not, I mean, look, we all have to understand 18 teams is going to be a different animal. And it's going to rewrite a lot of things. We're going to have to look at the record book of a great event in a different way with 18 teams. I mean, because the tournament scoring record of Randolph Childress feasibly could fall. 
you know, a lot of tournament records could fall. But how would we look at it? Well, this is the 17-game format as opposed to the, you know, in Childress's case, the eight-game format that, you know, he wrote, broke the record with in 1995. Getting to something that you mentioned a second ago about Roy and Kay's concern with college basketball. Sure. A lot of people are pointing to the net and the problems they have with it. But even bigger than that is something that something Terrence Oglesby and I were talking about a couple of days ago. Okay. It doesn't really seem like there's this enthusiasm, this this pop is the way that he put it, with college basketball right now than, say, five, six years ago. And there are different reasons why people feel that might be. But it's something we talk about with Duke Carolina every year, where the reaction last Saturday was, Harrison Ingram, who saw this coming? And then all the people that follow college basketball throughout the year are like, uh, he's been doing this every single game. Oh, wait, the casuals only watch Duke Carolina in the tournament when March arrives. So they hadn't been watching Harrison Ingram. Right. Like When you talk about issues that persist in college basketball, what is top of mind? Um, I have probably some concerns that college basketball falls under the category, the bigger broad stroke of college athletics, right? Um, I, I have problems with the net because I think the net was designed to be one thing. The NCAA put their name on it, acted like it was some, you know, government secret in the nuclear football briefcase type deal. And we've come to find out after five years that really margin of victory is a big factor. And I like Dan Gavitt. I, I respect Dan Gavitt a lot more than I respect Mark Emmert. Um, I think Dan Gavitt is a guy who's really, really smart. I'm surprised that we're still using the net and we're not talking about it more. Something I talked talk to uh, Jim Phillips about last night. I don't think he'd mind me mentioning this. It's like, is there anything that could be done this year? No, they've already no. said that this is an impact. But beyond that, after this year, I think it's going to be real conversations had about devaluing it, especially when you look at Bubba Cunningham. He's had comments about criticizing the net, too, and he's going right. to be the chair of the committee. Yeah, I think that Bubba's going to be a guy who's going to – people are going to see, I think, Bubba's strong voice on all of college athletics and his chairmanship. I think that that's going to be reflected in some of the comments he makes when the field's announced and as the tournament unfolds because I think he's one of the more trusted voices in college athletics, Josh. I really do. I think, I think the ACC is fortunate. I think they got a lot of athletic directors that carry a big stick in terms of the way their peers and colleagues think. Um not just in this league, but also in other leagues around the country. And I've heard that from media people around the country that, you know, there are people out in the Pac-12, they listen to when Bubba Cunningham talks. I think that happens in the Big 12. I think it happens even in the SEC and the Big 10, where everybody thinks they live on this planet in another galaxy. Um, but I, I really do believe Bubba is a, is a, is a voice in that room uh, when, people, when people gather. To me, the basketball product, though, to answer your question is – I think it's reflected in the television numbers. I mean, the TV numbers have, you know, we can show you a weekend like last weekend on ESPN where they showed you three top 10 games that were all really, really well received. Duke Carolina, obviously the most well received, right? Mm -hmm. uh, highest rated, second highest rated ball game, I think, not just this year, but it's one of the top 10 games in the last three or four. 3.7 uh, million. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Coach K's game was 3 9. Mm hmm. Um, now, remember, we had to get through Kansas and Texas in overtime to, to get some of that number. But um, I, I think that I think college basketball 
has got a saturation point where we've got to be more mindful of the schedule. And it's going to take the NCAA or whoever governs the sport to determine how this works. In the ACC's case, I'm curious, and look, I'm just going to tell you the things that I've been thinking about. What? How many conference games are we going to play? I mean, you, you're going to say 20. I would say go back to 18, play 17 teams once, and one of those 17 twice. Steve and Forbes has been the greatest advocate for moving down to 18 games. He thinks I, that's affected. The saturation is a good word. And the problem that's going to happen is this. If we go to 18 games and we play 17 teams once and one team twice, I guess you'd play 16 teams once and one team twice to get to the 18. That's my math acumen kicking in again. I would go this. I, I think people would get really upset with what I say, but Virginia, Virginia Tech play twice. State Wake plays twice. Carolina Duke play twice. Clemson and Florida – Clemson, Georgia Tech play twice. Florida State, Miami play twice. You know, whatever the case may be, right? SMU plays Louisville twice. I mean, I could make it up, right, as we go along. There's your there's your two games. Cal Stanford play twice. You know, I'll take care of everybody. Um, I, I think it's a really, really difficult decision for the ACC. I, it's interesting. You play the clip with Coach Behan. When we first started doing these games this year, we had a conversation about the ACC tournament and 18 teams. And he stands on the box of – Every team needs to go to the tournament. Do you ask him about his thoughts on Greensboro, too, with the ACC tournament? He, yeah, the Greensboro thing's overblown. Okay. The Greensboro thing's overblown. It's a nice try by you, though. Um, it's just good business sense. Business. Good business sense. Yeah, yeah, good business for you. Um, but he, he wants every team to go to the tournament, and he says if they don't, then it hurts recruiting. Mm -hmm. Has anybody thought about that in our world? No, we haven't. We don't deal with it from a coaching perspective. He thinks it's really important that every team go to the tournament. He's kind of convinced me of it, to be honest with you. Now, I know the Big Ten's not going to do that. They're going to leave some people at home. They may be comfortable doing that, given the money. ACC may need 18 teams there. ACC may want that kind of content, may want that kind of television inventory for whatever that means. Um, you know, I, I think it's really important that live events keep happening especially when it relates to your league. I saw today where SMU is going to play Nevada in week zero to start the season. Unfortunately, they're going to play at Nevada. Um, so it won't be an ACC network game, which yeah. is darn the luck on August 24th. <laughs> but um, I, I just think we've got some real issues we've got to work out to make sure we keep momentum going. And that's what I'm really concerned about in some respects is the momentum of our league right now. And the one that I sit and follow. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what D.C. is going to be like for the tournament. I really am. Because I think D.C. is a spectacular venue for it. I think uh, I did not go, full disclosure, I did not go to the 15 tournament. I wasn't doing television. I went I've to never SEC. been. I'm going for the first time this year. Yeah, D.C. is great. I mean, Verizon Center, Capital One Center, whatever corporate name center is really a good place. And it, I think people have enjoyed it. Um, I know that. There are alums of, you know, certainly the, the major schools in the conference in that marketplace, and I think you'll see that as well. But um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, and I, I hope we're able to build some momentum down the stretch here on the men's side. I think the women's side is going to take care of itself. I think you're going to get potentially 10 teams in the tournament. I think that's a, that's a credit to the level of play they're having this year too. Who are you with on Saturday for Wake Forest NC State? They have renewed Dan Bonner and I's yes. deal. From yes. round one in Raleigh, so we can come to the Joel on Saturday 
And I have not been to uh, Joel Coliseum since a game with Kennesaw State, mm. I think at the beginning of last year. I've not been in Joel Coliseum since then and uh, looking forward to being there on Saturday afternoon. And, uh, in fact, I've got a few trips back to North Carolina here before the end how, of the How season. many minutes into the broadcast before we get uh, the head-butting Diara and Hunter Salas being separated? How many minutes, seconds? Into the broadcast. No, it won't be seconds. We're not gonna. We're not gonna go that quick. Um, I imagine we'll get there in the first ten. Okay. First okay. ten on the clock. Well, the under twelve would probably be about the back end of that option. Keep. We'll keep an eye on that. West Durham. Yeah. It's good to see you. And I'll yeah, you see learned, you. How'd, how'd you? Uh, you survive last night on the floor down there? Did you do okay? Nobody <sighs> sweated on you, spat on you, whatever the case may be. Brian it's, Hall. It's, Brian it's, Hall got some photos of me that he put on social media of me. Drinking a Coca Cola. Disappointed people that I brought a Coca Cola. Joe Gilio telling me, Josh, you bring in a drink courtside. That's not a that's not a smart play. It was late night. I needed the caffeine for the drive back to Winston. What do you Gilio want? Gilio coming to the game Saturday, huh? That's that's what he says, but I I fear that he might he might flake out. Gonna bail out. I'm I, looking forward to being on the floor, if I may say that. Um you know, we've been <laughs> It's been a uh, while. Yeah. Oh, it's been a long damn time. It ain't been a while. It's been a damn decade and change. <laughs> Uh, the Tim Brando Memorial Photo Deck apparently for television has been closed. It has been. The uh, I think the, I appreciate John Curry, Lucy Barris, everybody who might have been involved, not involved in the meeting, voted yes, voted no. Unlike the Will, Iron, hey, those Will folks Dalton, are... Will might have been involved somewhere along yes, the way. Yes, you never know. Unlike the, I, over unlike the Iron, <laughs> those people are kind. Yeah, yeah. And, Tim is, I, I've told Tim we've been moved back to the floor in Winston-Salem. And, you know. To his credit, Tim is happy for all of his media colleagues that we have been given. <laughs> we have been given our just thought. West Durham, I'll see you then. Thanks for doing Take this. Take care, Josh. All right, you guys have a great week. Your attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Let me clarify something. Super Bowl week is very fun. If you get to sit on the set I'm currently seeing on ESPN, where all I see are the beautiful, I'm sure completely real trees that are, you know, set out right in front of those casinos. And Good you get to be Mita Kimes and Dan Orlovsky or Cam Newton, who's doing his podcast on site and apparently in the last five minutes was surprised by a special guest Luke Keekley who shared a a long embrace and it was a very happy scene if you're a Panther fan I'm sure you would enjoy seeing that if you're not one of those people <laughs> if you're not uber famous nationally might not be the most fun deal to be in Las Vegas this week it's already a tough, congested place to be for more than three days. Being there for more than three days during the Super Bowl? Suboptimal. Dave and Clemens once in. 336-777-1600. Dave, are you with me on this? Uh, Josh, what's up, JG? I am 100% with you. And I wanted to give my Super Bowl experience. I went out there for this matchup in 2019 when Kansas City and San Francisco 
played the first time around. And um, I, got, I was there the whole week. And by the end of the week, I was ready for it to be over with. But as the week went on, as we got to Tuesday and Wednesday. Where was this again? This was in Miami. Okay. Miami. Fox had the Super Bowl that year, so they built like a, uh, almost like a university. They put six sets together and put Colin and all those guys out there. And they were very accessible. And, the, you know, LeVar Arrington, T.J. Usmanzada, I mean, they were just walking around uh, at Loomis Park like nothing was going on. And so that was really, really cool to see those players in that type of element. And I'm sure – they're doing it in Las Vegas, but if you look at Dan Patrick's set, it, it was cold and raining. Those guys are not having that much fun right now because it's cold and raining in Vegas currently. And uh, when I was on the Dan Patrick show, I went out there for the Monday show the day after Kobe Bryant died. So it was kind of an eerie, ominous feeling that morning. And he his set was like six stories up in a parking deck. And an ambulance kept driving by, and it was just pissing Dan Patrick off so much because he couldn't have the interview. Because the the sirens and the noises that were just coming from that set. So it, it was kind of neat and fun to watch those guys in a different element as well. Not, like you said, in the friendly confines of their own studio with everything that the, they're familiar with, but out in the elements a little bit. So, yeah. um and it's just one big party. I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate the friendly confines of the studio. All those things you're describing, we've all kind of been there one way or another. We've all kind of been to a YMCA as well, which is why if you're a member, I want to make sure to pass this along to you. You get $50 in YCash and are automatically entered to win a $500 Visa gift card if sometime this month you refer a friend to join. And if you do so before Valentine's Day next Wednesday... Your friend, they enjoy a $0 initiation fee. YMCANWNC.org. Let's get to last night's action in the ACC. NC State, predictably, had NC State stuff happen. We suck. You thought they were going to have a three-game homestand and win all three of those games? <laughs> They lost to Pitt, and Pitt is kind of back in that, are they on the bubble, are they not on the bubble mix? Here's what I know. With NC State losing this game, they are now going to Winston-Salem Saturday. Wake can deal NC State a death blow Saturday. There, I said it. If NC State loses Saturday at Wake Forest, they're done. They're toast. They are not an NCAA tournament team. Even if they win it, wait, they still probably aren't, but they still have a pulse if they do. They need to win this game. After losing the pit, State, they're nowhere near the bubble right now. Not top 75 in the net, behind the top five teams by a considerable margin in the ACC. Talking about Duke, Carolina, Clemson, Virginia, Wake Forest. They're behind Virginia Tech. They're behind Pitt now, behind Miami. They're, they are out of the mix. And they didn't beat anybody out of conference because they didn't play anybody out of conference. They have just one home quad one game left. That's Duke going into PNC Arena. So that's a must win. And you need to get, you need to take a game on the road. If you don't win at Wake, where are you going to win? You're going to win at North Carolina and Chapel Hill? 
You going to win at Little John Coliseum next week in Clemson? Okay. Probably not. So you're going to have to win this game if you're NC State. They shouldn't be in the tournament either, though. Even when they were 5-0 and in the ACC, we were the ones calling this out saying, BS. I, I, I have eyes, and I'm seeing the teams that you're beating, and they're not good teams, and it's not impressive the way that you're doing so. There's, not, there's nothing spectacular about this team. DJ Horn scores, he doesn't defend. DJ Burns scores, doesn't defend. Middlebrooks might be their best all-around player, but he doesn't score that much. So, since the last time they played Wake Forest, a lot's happened, and I'm sure Wake Forest hasn't forgotten what happened in the final minutes of that game. It's going to be a tough hill to climb Saturday in Winston-Salem. West Durham's going to be calling that game. He'll be joining us next hour. He has the call at Joel Coliseum Saturday at 4, 4 o'clock. Should be a big crowd for that game. He was at the Duke game last night, saw him at Cameron, calling the game alongside our friend Jim Beheim, Corey Alexander on the call too. Getting to some locker room sound. Kyle Filipowski said it. We kind of noted it on Monday after the North Carolina game. He's a guy who can't really, you know, hide his expressions. He can't hide his feelings. You could just know what he's thinking at all times on his face. It was another frustrating night for Kyle Filipowski, and here he was talking about those frustrations. You know, sometimes my, my face can still show a different expression and that, that I'm not really trying to show. I'm just trying to be like, don't overreact, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't say nothing stupid or, or uh, you know, show any of that sign. So that's why I'm just trying to keep a straight face. Kyle, you don't strike me as the type of person who can hide emotion on your face. Has that always been the case? Um... I'd say so, yeah, but I mean, I guess that's just because I really care about about the game, care about, you know, how we play. He does. But we all kind of know that person who they can't hide. They don't have a poker face. Kyle Filipowski would be the worst poker player in the ACC. Like, you could just see on his face that he's got pocket aces or he has nothing. You, you just know. Here's more from Flip. He struggled, but... It's also been a rough few days with the struggles he had at North Carolina as well. Here he was on getting over the Carolina loss. Obviously, there's a lot deeper um, meaning to that game. And and it's always, uh, you know, that was my first experience was in the UNC. So, you know, of course, it, it was, we take that as a little harder, um, you know, but every, every loss is still a hard one. And, um, you know, that just shows how much more effort we got to put in. Um, you know, we got another shot at them, but that's later on in the season. So, you know, we're just going to keep focusing on what's in front of us, keep that, get that wing strength going back again. Um, you know, and when the time comes for them, you know, we'll be ready. One more bit of locker room sound from Duke 71 53 win over Notre Dame at Cameron last night. John Shire said that Monday's practice was hard, it had some uncomfortable moments, some direct conversations. Duke's Jared McCain always seems to be upbeat and positive, but even he said, yeah, wasn't the most fun practices this week. Practice since Saturday. Man, it was tough. <laughs> I had a tough one for sure. Had to get back, um, you know, back to our, our basics and do kind of some basic drills and defensive drills for sure, a lot of defense. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good, good week of practice. What makes it so hard? Um, I guess just the, the running. 
Um, I'm used to running though, so it's, no, it's nothing crazy. But um, yeah, just mid-season, you know, your body breaking down. But we needed it. We needed a, a little, a little bounce back. You can't get that guy down. Oh yeah, all the running. But I like running. And you know what? We need it. Had the body, our body break down. Give us some more. Yeah. Listening to a podcast, and they had such a funny bit where apparently they rib on each other. These hosts, they just act like Tony Romo calling games whenever they're with each other. Be like, I don't know, Jim. <laughs> Their bodies are breaking down, Jim. This is a tough one for them, Jim. It's gonna be tough.